Welcome in. It's the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Always great to have you with us. Alongside Chris Dorch of Blue Ribbon, I'm Kevin Ingram. Coming up on today's show, our guest will be Tom Leach, the voice of the Kentucky Wildcats. We'll preview the ACC-SEC Challenge, which includes Kentucky and Miami uh, coming up. Uh, just a matter of hours here as we record this. Chris, what's going on, man? Oh, man, I, I just have come to the conclusion that it's it's UConn's world and everybody else in college <laughs> basketball just living in it. Yeah, I think you're right. What an interesting record. We'll kick off our show with the uh, reigning national champions and the record they set on Monday night. They're ranked number four. They beat New Hampshire 84-64 on Monday and set an NCAA record with their 24th straight non-conference win by double figures. That broke the mark that was set by North Carolina back in their championship season of uh, 08-09. But the record includes all NCAA tournament wins last March, which to me is the most remarkable part about it. And uh, Coach Dan Hurley said it really speaks to the level of preparation they have for every game and the respect they have for opponents. And their streak and North Carolina's streak, according to ESPN, will be longest in non-conference play of double-figure wins going all the way back to 1950. So uh, I thought that was an interesting part of it, too. But to hear Coach Hurley say that, that's hard to do. You know, it's one thing to crank it up for a really big game, but it's another thing to crank it up for every single game and make sure you're focused on on teams that everybody expects you to beat by 25 or 30 points. I, I thought that was a really interesting comment. It's interesting that you pointed that out. I've seen so many times over the years where a power conference team gets upset because – they think they can just show up and beat somebody. But when they they play a team, another power conference team that has people that they know from the AAU circuit or whatever, that level of pride kicks in and, and a competition. But you're right. Uh, UConn is just prepared. And I'm going to stand corrected. And I, I don't mind uh, admitting that when I'm wrong or when I need to change my mind and look at things. A couple of shows ago, you had asked me about was it the year of the big man? And I sort of downplayed it a little bit, even though there are obviously several good big men in the country. And I said, well, it's really a guard game now. But the Maui Classic, I'm, I'm going to amend that. Um, and, and what UConn has done, uh, uh, yes, they shot it well uh, in this streak. I think they won their six NCAA tournament games by an average of 20 points. That's the fourth largest margin in history. And for the first uh, three games of that tournament, they shot it at 45%. But the last three, they shot it around 35%. That's when Sonogo and, and Donovan Klingon took over. Uh, so I think you have to have somebody that can get you an easy basket, that can command a double team, especially in the college game. If you've got somebody that can command a double team, you've got a tremendous advantage. Well, I know we're going to talk about Purdue also, but just last night, for example, when UConn broke the record uh, by beating New Hampshire 84-64, they shot 14% from three, which is very uncharacteristic. But Donovan Klingon scored 29 points on 12 of 13 shooting. So I believe the very best teams are balanced. And sure, uh, Villanova won with four guards uh, and playing four out. But you have to have somebody that can get you a basket, an easy basket in the post, and maybe, if you're lucky, also command a double team, which means you've got an open shooter on the floor. And if he's an astute enough passer like a Zach Eady, you know, you can beat some people. 
Yeah, that can make all the difference. Uh, ha- having that big man who creates just tremendous matchup problems or you have to put extra help on. And you, you mentioned Purdue. They moved up to number one this week. They beat Gonzaga, Tennessee, and Marquette to win the Maui Invitational, which was, of course, in, in Honolulu. Uh, three of the top 11 teams in the country, they beat three of them and uh, got 60 to 63 first place votes. So, even after their stumble in the NCAA tournament last year, they've, they've just had an amazing run and, and produced back up to number one and uh, looks like a, another good season ahead. And, you know, they, they probably feel a little bit like Virginia did a few years ago when they're, you know, on a, a little bit of a redemption tour, but so far so good for Matt Painter's team. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously Zach Eady is, is the perfect example of what we're talking about. Uh-huh. He He's number one in the country and falls drawn. So, uh, for 40 minutes and, and people have to surround him and, and they have to keep him from going off and doing damage. But the, the trouble is um, Purdue is 11th in the country in three point percentage, almost 41%. And they also guard uh, extremely well. This is one of Matt Painter's, I think more well-rounded teams. It makes you wonder when you, you read that Dan Hurley quote about preparation and you wonder why Purdue has had some of these legendary stumbles in the tournament when they've clearly outmanned their opponents. And, and you know, Matt Painter might tell you, maybe we didn't prepare like we should have. But I think this is a team, it, it's an apt comparison you make to Virginia of getting put out in the first round. Um, I, I think they've got something to prove. And they shored up their weaknesses. I, I don't think the last couple of years were maybe – Uh, a vintage Purdue uh, defensive team, but this one looks more like uh, the the defensive teams that Matt Painter uh, has won a lot of games with. AP top 10, by the way, uh, for this week, Purdue, Arizona, Marquette, UConn, and Kansas, one through five, Houston, Duke, Miami, Baylor, and Tennessee. Uh, Then after that, if you want to look on down the line, Gonzaga at 11, Kentucky, FAU, Texas A&M, Creighton, and Texas. Uh, FAU still getting it done. Florida Atlantic, they lost 61-52 to Bryant, but then they came back to win the ESPN Events Invitational in Orlando with wins over Butler and Texas A&M and Virginia Tech. So to me, what they did last year was remarkable. And, you know, you'll see somebody make a, a run out of nowhere that nobody's expecting, but then it's really hard to follow that up. Butler did it getting back to the uh, the national championship game and, and back-to-back seasons. But for FAU, uh, it'll be interesting to see how they follow up that that run to the Final Four from last season. Well, this plays right into my uh, change of mind about face. Admit I was wrong. Uh, I need to emphasize big men because uh, they start four guards, as everybody knows. But Vladislav Golden, the big man, seven-footer, is leading them in scoring, and he's shooting 73% from the floor. So there again, uh, they're shooting 38% from three. That's off the charts. But you still have to have a guy. And I don't know why I didn't think of this earlier. You have to have a guy that that can get you a basket. And, and Golden has really become that. He's averaging almost 15, six boards. And as I said, shooting 73% from the floor, that's, that's incredible. And it's just a reason – It's it's a guaranteed option when everything else breaks down. You can just toss it in there. You you were at the mic on some of those good uh, Belmont teams that had a, a great big man, Moose. Um, and he, he was such a great passer. And, you know, I, I think that's what gave Belmont advantages when they played power conference opponents is because he was a guy that they had to contend with. 
Well, the ACC-SEC Challenge is this week, and we're going to have Tom Leach with us uh, from Kentucky to talk about their matchup against Miami uh, coming up in a few minutes. It starts on Tuesday. Number 21, Mississippi State at Georgia Tech. Notre Dame plays at South Carolina, LSU at Syracuse. Number 8, Miami at number 12, Kentucky. Missouri at Pittsburgh should be a fun matchup. North Carolina State at Ole Miss. Clemson at number 23, Alabama. And then on Wednesday, you have 10th-ranked Tennessee at number 17, North Carolina. Number 14, Texas A&M at Virginia. Florida at Wake Forest, number 17. Duke at Arkansas. Boston College plays at Vanderbilt. I'll uh, have that game. Georgia at Florida State. Virginia Tech at Auburn. Chris, I look at some of these matchups, and the people who put these things together have a little bit of a sense of humor, I think. Clemson at Alabama. Are they, they going to bring out Dabo and, and Nick Saban? Of course, <laughs> Tennessee and North Carolina, those two have had some memorable matchups over the years. Duke and Arkansas. Yep. You know, you got Scotty Thurman in, in the game in Charlotte in 94, the championship game. And uh, even one, as yep. I was reading them off there a moment ago, Notre Dame at South Carolina. That could be like the Lou Holtz Bowl. They could uh, bring him out. And I'm going to have to jump ball. And here you go, guys. You guys have a great game, okay? Okay, <laughs> but uh, it's That's funny awesome. to see some of the matchups that they put together for these things. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think Tuesday got ripped off a little bit Tuesday night. If you look at the games versus Wednesday, I'm I'm really intrigued by Tennessee just lost, and, and I I know their fans being fans are bummed out. They lost two in Maui, but they were to the numbers one and two teams in the country, uh, at least at that time, and. So, yeah, got to give them a break, and we'll see what they're made of when they go to North Carolina. Of course, that's one of the loudest uh, places to play. You've been there. You called a game there. You called a Belmont win there, as I, I recall. Uh, so we'll see. Tennessee needs to get back on track, and uh, they've had some success on the road, one at Michigan State in an exhibition and one at Wisconsin. So, But I'm also intrigued Texas A&M at Virginia. I watched Texas A&M the other night. They were without two starters but yet they came back from, I think, 19 down to beat Iowa State. So they're not going away easy. Buzz Williams has done a great job with them. And Duke at Arkansas, uh, if Tremont Mark had not got hurt in their last game, Arkansas, he was carried off on the stretcher. Uh, MRI showed no injury to his back, so maybe he'll be okay. Uh, he's been a remarkable scorer for Arkansas so far, transfer from Houston. But I like to see what the, that young nucleus of Duke and how they handle the uh, the calling of the hogs and all that stuff down there. It'll be an interesting matchup. And then you, you've got Boston College at, at Vanderbilt. Uh, you already started doing your, your prep on that? Yeah, a, a little bit. And Boston College has a seven-footer who's played outstanding so far. So that could be a challenge for a Vanderbilt team that doesn't uh, really have at least not the experienced true center that they've had the last couple seasons. Vanderbilt's thing, and I did the two games out in Las Vegas last week, is injuries have just uh, really plagued this team so far. Played six games, and none of them with the starting lineup that they want to use. We're missing Tyron Lawrence's preseason all-conference guard in the SEC, and, and Vin Allen Lubin, who's a transfer from Notre Dame, who's a really athletic forward. Who uh, We saw both those guys make their debut out in Las Vegas, and both played really well in those two games. Games. But then you get those guys back, and, and Ezra Magnon twisted an ankle pretty badly about a week and a half ago against Central Arkansas. He didn't play in either of the games in Las Vegas, uh, just trying to make sure he's going to be okay. And he is the key to, to Vanderbilt's offensive and really, in a lot of ways, defensive uh, engine. I mean, he just, just does everything to make him go assist-to-turnover ratio off the charts. And, boy, Ezra being out of lineup uh, really makes things challenging. And 
he also had Colin Smith. He got hit in the head in the game against uh, NC State in the second half and, and missed the game against Arizona State with a concussion. So uh, I think they just want to get back whole and have the starting lineup together. I think this Vanderbilt team can be really good if uh, the starting lineup can get healthy and all play together because uh, really talented and capable players have added Evan Taylor, who's a transfer from Lehigh, is a guy from the Chicago area, but really good shooter from all levels. Good mid-range game. Uh, you just don't see many guys anymore that can rise up and hit those 15, you know, 10 to 15 foot like that so uh, I, I think if this team can get healthy it can have a really nice season but that's just been the biggest challenge so far and it's so funny how basketball works sometimes there's a guy for Arizona State he is one of 17 from three in, in his first handful of games uh, going into Vanderbilt's game against Arizona State the other night Gaffney is his last name he was one for 17 from three and you're thinking, okay, maybe that's a guy you're like we'll hear from Tom Leach, one of those guys you can play off of a little bit and, and challenge him to shoot the three. He comes out in the first half of the game on Friday night and went five out of five from behind the three point line. The, the dude's, you know, he's got like, you know a dozen, fifteen points, something like that at halftime. You're thinking, where did this come from? Uh, Arizona State did not look very good against BYU. They shot the ball really poorly, and uh, then they came out and, and were much, much better in the game against Vanderbilt on Friday. So, yeah, a couple of challenging games out there. I saw DJ Burns play for NC State. Uh, that's a pretty good team. Uh, they played really well against BYU in the championship game of that uh, Vegas uh, showdown. And uh, BYU came back and ended up winning. That's a team that could put some points on the board. But uh, saw some pretty good players out there in that uh, two-day event. And also saw three coaches – that it all played in the Final Four back in the 90s. Of course, Jerry Stackhouse from North Carolina in 1995. Yeah. Bobby Hurley played in three Final Fours and won two championships with Duke. Mark Pope was on Kentucky's Mark 96 Pope. championship team, uh, one of the one of the great teams of all time that uh, uh, beat Syracuse in the finals uh, back in 1996. So you had some coaches with some uh, playing pedigrees in that deal. It was kind of fun to see those guys and think about their histories going back to uh, the 90s when they were all outstanding players. It was hard to keep track with all the, the tournaments over the last couple of weeks, but there's some good ones springing up. I think the Charleston Classic has become a, a go-to destination, the Myrtle Beach Invitational, and then Maui. And that field at Maui was unbelievable, and we knew a good team was going to leave there one and two, and it happened to be Tennessee. So uh, uh, I can't wait to see how to see response. You know, another team in the SEC that we didn't talk about, Mississippi State, we blue ribbon picked them in our preseason top 25, but they lost the big man preseason All-American Tolu Smith to an injury. He has not played yet, but they're still 6-0 and uh, ranked number 21. So, uh, again, uh, another beneficiary of, of Bob Huggins' midnight ride, uh, Jimmy Bell, a center at, at West Virginia, transferred after – Hugs departure there, and uh, he's fit in well at Mississippi State while Tolu Smith is on the mend. Chris, this week's guest is a, a guy who's uh, been with us a number of times. We always appreciate him uh, coming on and spending a few minutes with us. He is the voice of the Kentucky Wildcats, Tom Leach. Tom, what's happening? Well, big basketball game coming up tonight for the Wildcats, and then um, fun times right now. I mean, Kentucky just scored 118 points in a game at Rupp Arena. <laughs> Not in two games, one game. <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to ask you, Tom, if I didn't know better, I'd swear Nate Oates was up there uh, coaching at, at Kentucky. But look at this Coach Cal team shooting 42, almost 43% from three and averaging 94 points. That must be a fun bunch to watch. 
It is. Uh, they are a lot of fun to watch. It's funny. He was doing his normal kind of shtick after the game. Uh, I guess they played Stonehill, and they were going to play St. Joe's, which gave them quite a tussle. And he said, they're going to come in here and shoot 35 threes. And, you know, uh, and I said, you shoot 35 threes. And <laughs> he, he paused. He said, yeah, how about that? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you look at these guys, we all know what Antonio Reeves uh, could do. But then you look at Rob Dillingham is shooting at 50%. Even Trey Mitchell at 38. Reed Shepard is off the chart shooting it at 67%. Uh, and then DJ Wagner isn't shooting it so well, but he's the SEC freshman of the week after averaging 25 in, in two games. Is that as much firepower as they've had in a while? Yeah, I think so. What Calipari has said is that they have a team where everybody can pass, dribble, and shoot. And he's actually right about that. Uh, you watch <laughs> the way that they play. This When I watched them practice before the games in Toronto this summer, that was the, the first thing that jumped out to me was how unselfish they were. And, you know, would that hold up in the games? And it did. And they – I always think great passers – see one or two moves ahead you know if you're yeah. you're you're knowing if i make this move this is going to happen and this guy's going to come open and they seem to have a bunch of guys that see the court that way and so they're so uh, unselfish and move the ball so well i mean there are times the ball just whips around the perimeter or up the floor without a dribble and i think there's a high level of trust that if you give up the ball you'll get it back if you're open Tom, uh, Chris and I were talking about big guys, and of course Aaron Bradshaw's uh, anticipated debut has been something people have been keeping an eye on. What are they thinking there as far as him getting on the court? Uh, he did his first bit of five-on-five contact work in practice yesterday. So probably uh, my guess would be next week before the Penn game. You know, he played in uh, in Camden's, so that's close to Philadelphia, and uh, so it's kind of a homecoming for him and DJ and Justin. And uh, he, uh, Aaron said this week on a social media post that he's about a week away. So that would kind of match up with uh, that timeline. So maybe, you know, maybe they'll, he's not going to play tonight, but maybe they'll try to get him in against the Wilmington on Saturday. My guess would be, though, maybe the Penn game the next week. To but me, I would think it'll be in short bursts because, sure. you know, yeah. he didn't play since April and it was a lower body injury. So it had to affect, you know, the, the conditioning. And, and plus, he's just got to, learn how to you know fit in with uh, what they're doing to me a Thiero is an interesting player too and, and from seeing him a couple times in person last year it, it seems like he's really progressed from his freshman season what have you seen from him yeah he is a guy that's kind of a swiss army knife he uh can gives him some much needed rebounding he uh hits the boards hard gets to the line probably as well as anybody uh needs to and, and should shoot a little higher percentage um, he is not a guy that's real comfortable. He's the guy that uh, teams play off of, or they put their, you know, if they like Dickinson, they put on on a dude, and he just gave him space. And a dude made a made a three in the Kansas game, but then just is hesitant to take them. So Cal Perry, in seeing this, uh, said on his radio show last night, he's told to do just move in closer and you know take sh- uh, shorter shots that you have more confidence in, um, and. Yeah, I think he's a guy that I've always thought would be a really good defender for them. So, you know, maybe a a guy that could be just a little bit of everything. 
Tom, it's interesting. Back in June, Cat fans were panicking. Rumors of Antonio Reeves taking classes at Illinois State. And then all of a sudden, Bob Huggins took an ill-fated trip and uh, didn't turn out so well. Loses his job. Trey Mitchell's in the wind. Antonio Reeves comes back. Uh, Cal wasn't worried really at all, was he? Uh, He sure didn't act like he was. Yeah, I think he felt confident. There's enough players out there, Kentucky being Kentucky, that that you know they something would work out. I think he liked kind of the core of this freshman group that he had, and he just needed you know the pieces to complement it there. And there was the thing was I think there was every reason for Reeves to come back. So that was probably where some of that confidence came from. They just had to keep you know making that case, uh, and we see that now with the way it's playing out for him. And then uh, Mitchell just kind of fell into their lap, but. Those kind of things, you know, happen. And, you know, again, when you're Kentucky or Carolina or Duke, you know, you've got it's, – it's the place a lot of people want to go. And so if somebody finds themselves uh, out there shopping and, and you have a need, they, they're they going to find you probably. And, boy, I think Mitchell is – it was – you know, it kind of – I said kind of fell into their lap, but, wow, what good fortune. I love his game. And uh, Cal Perry has said when they get – uh, one of the big guys back, probably Bradshaw would be first, that uh, he's inclined to keep Mitchell at the five and play the big guy at the four. And I think, and I, I'm sure on defense it would be the other way around, but uh, the, we, the reason I think he would do that is, you know, Mitchell's got 21 assists and three turnovers. I think they <laughs> like crazy. running offense through him, um, you know, c- to pull him away. And he's such a good passer and you have to respect him on a pick and pop. And He's effective in, in the low post some, but they can post up, say, Bradshaw, you know, and they want to run something through the post. And, um, you know, Mitchell, it's, 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 this is amazing to me. 21 assists, three turnovers. For his career, he's underwater on assists to turnovers. And that has to me to say something about the guys he's playing with now and how well they play off of, of what his skill set is. Yeah, I mean, with all those great shooters for him to pick from, if, if he draws a double, he just has to look out and throw it off to somebody. Obviously, the Anthony Davis, Michael Kidd, Gilchrist class will always be remembered. But how do you think this freshman class stacks up since you've been on the mic? It, it seems like, I don't know, it seems like a powerful group. One of the most dynamic groups, I think, I think they're probably going to, probably going to end up being Cal Perry's highest scoring team, uh, the 17 group with Fox and Monk. That's the fastest pace at which Cal had one of his teams play. Um, the 11 team with Lamb and Knight shot the most threes. I think this team's going to top both of those teams in terms of you know pace and, and number of threes um, because, as, as he says, they can all pass, dribble, and shoot. And uh, you, you're comfortable. Even, you know, DJ's not shot the highest percentage all his last couple of games. He shot the three better. I think his game's going to be more get into the lane and, you know, set up teammates that way or, or score off just his strength in the lane. But if you look at his shot, there's nothing. Sometimes you, you know, see guys shoot the ball and the rotation is awkward looking or the form doesn't look quite right. They don't have anybody that has any of those issues. So, uh, I think this will be a really good shooting team. Not great defensively. I think they'll get better just because they're so competitive, but they need somebody in there to not let teams go all the way to the rim. They have to pull up and at least shoot a six or an eight-footer if they beat 
beat you off the dribble. And that's what, you know, Bradshaw comes back. He'll give that to him. I look at their assist to turnover ratio. It's 2.4 to 1, 120 assists to 49 turnovers. That's off the hook too, isn't it? Oh, yeah. That's It just speaks to how well they share the ball. They have a bunch of guys that, that see the whole floor. Uh, Dillingham's been great. The other night, he came in against Marshall. And, you know, Dillingham has the, you know, had came in with the rep of just being a high volume shooter. And, you know, he was going to, you know, dominate the ball and, you know, would hard be hard to fit in. He hadn't been any of that. And the other yeah. night, this is a good example against Marshall. He had five assists before he ever took a shot. And that just tells <laughs> you kind of he's bought in. Yeah. Tom, I want to ask you about Reed Shepard. Uh, I saw a photo of side-by-side of him dunking and his dad, Jeff, dunking from his days back in the 90s. It's, it's uncanny how much they, they look alike in some of those things that, that people post and, of course, both wearing number 15. Yeah, and his mom, uh, Stacy Reed Shepard, mm-hmm. um, is the all-time steals leader for Kentucky women's basketball. And you watch Reed, uh, you know, he is amazing at getting steals or tipping a ball to a teammate. And uh, my uh, late great partner on the broadcast, Mike Pratt, and worked with the Hornets when they had Muggsy Bogues. And I know Muggsy is faster than, than Reed and smaller, but uh, Mike said that Magic Johnson once once had the great line, if you can't see Muggsy, pick up the ball. <laughs> and I think it's a little bit like that with Shepard. If you can't see him, pick up the ball. He's, he's coming after it. Uh, I want to ask you one fun one as we as we finish up here. Uh, I saw that this week was the anniversary of the first ever game at Rupp Arena back in 1976, and it had the lineup. and Jack Gibbons was in that lineup against Wisconsin that night. And, and listen to you guys, boy, the, the goose still has that passion for Kentucky basketball, doesn't he? Oh, he does. Uh, it's fun where uh, a couple teams have zoned Kentucky lately, and uh, they read or uh, excuse me, Trey Mitchell's been very effective in the middle of the zone because he can turn and make the shot or pass. And uh, yeah, I kind of would, was laughing with Goose and said, "Yeah, you, you ever uh, know anybody that was really good at that? <laughs> zone and shots? <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, just maybe." I wanted to ask you too. How's Dick Gabriel doing? I know he uh, is recovering from bypass surgery. Doing really well. Yeah, he um, I think is going to get back maybe this week into doing his own local show that he does, and uh, I think he's hopeful to be back on the sidelines with us for our uh, football broadcast of wherever Kentucky goes in a bowl game. So he was lucky he wow. went in for a checkup and they found it, you know, wow. before it showed itself. And, uh, you know, it's while it's, they always say, you know, major surgery, surgery on, uh, you know, somebody else. So he, it's a serious operation, sure. but also they do a lot of them and they're very high level of success rate. So he's done well. Well, that's great to hear. Tom Leach, that's always great. great to see you. Thanks so much for the time. Happy to help, guys. Uh, going to be a fun season, it looks like. Well, that was Tom Leach, longtime voice of the Kentucky Wildcats. And uh, as we were talking with him before uh, we went on the air, he's had an interesting few days, uh, not only calling basketball, but what all has gone on with their football program. They scored a monumental win over their arch rival Louisville at Louisville on Saturday. And then there was some drama involving Mark Stoops, their coach, and whether he might go to uh, Texas A&M. In the end, he decided to uh, to stay put in Lexington. And uh, that was probably the best move for everybody involved. But we should all be as lucky as Jimbo Fisher, Chris, and have a, a $77 million <laughs> buyout that's going to you know, be the gift that keeps on giving for years. Oh, that's I, I saw that, and I about fell out of my chair. It dwarfs anything that I've ever seen in basketball. I remember Kevin Stallings had the greatest line. Uh, 
after he got fired at Pittsburgh, I, I think he had a buyout of like, I, I don't know, I could somewhere between eight and $10 million. And he said one night he went to sleep and he had a nightmare that he didn't get fired. <laughs> uh, he, he knew that wasn't a good fit up there. They knew it wasn't. And after two years, he took his eight or 10 million and waved bye-bye to the game. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that he's ever set foot on a court again. Uh, even though he's a glib speaker and funny when you get him going, I don't he's resisted the urge to do television and certainly hasn't been asked to coach again. So, uh, even though I think he's a good coach, but yeah, that, that kind of money doesn't get thrown around and, in the basketball world, seventy-six million. I'm, Jimbo can say goodnight, and and uh, that'll be it. Yeah, go hang out down in Destin or something uh, as long yeah, as he exactly. wants to. Boy, that that would be a that'd be a nice little parachute to have uh, if things don't go well in your, your coaching career to have that kind of money in your back pocket. You remember the old uh, coach Abe Lemons who uh, coached? Oh yeah. Coach, what out in Texas uh, back in, in Texas? The, yeah, back in the day, I always thought he had a great line of. You know, it's probably a, a corny old joke that everybody's told, but he said they wanted to buy out my contract, but nobody had change for a twenty. I, I've, I've thought about that line uh, in relation to my own career a lot of times. <laughs> he, he had some great lines when he got fired. Uh, the Texas AD was named the Lost Gods. And, uh, Abe said he wanted to get a glass bottom car so he could see the loss as he runs <laughs> runs him over. <laughs> back and forth <laughs> abe was a character uh for sure what about james madison uh them yeah. dudes uh still unbeaten at six and oh they won all three in the cancun challenge it's a banner year for sports at that place huh it is football and, and i think they're going to get a, a shot at one at a bowl game now yeah. because a couple teams lost that were would have been bowl eligible i think uh that's not my sport i'll, I'll, I'll admit that but i do keep up Mark Byington is a, is a good coach. When he left Georgia Southern for James Madison, it looked, I don't know, sort of like a lateral move. Uh, you know, why wouldn't he wait for something uh, uh, bigger? But, man, he's turned James Madison around. Uh, this is incredible uh, what they've gotten done. They, they start out the season. Um, they go to, to Michigan State. They, they beat them. 79-76 in overtime. Then they go to Kent State, where they win in two overtimes, 113 to 108. And then they won another little uh, MTE, beating Southern Illinois and Fresno State, two programs from bigger leagues. But I got to digging. Uh, they play a quick style. Their possession length is only 15.4 seconds. That's number 29 in the country. And they shoot it great from three. They're number 20 in the country at, at almost 40%. But here's the key. Uh, Division I experience, they are number six in the nation at 3.12 years average man per uh, experience. So uh, it, it goes to show you that despite all the five-star recruits and great recruiting classes, uh, there's really no substitution for just some grizzled veterans. And they've done a great job in the transfer transfer portal and it's good to see coach Byington get get that thing turned around he's a name to look out for uh if you're an acc or sec athletic director and uh you want to fork out the jimbo fisher money to get rid of somebody <laughs> and hire a new coach 
Uh, speaking of coaches, congratulations to LaSalle's friend Dumphy on his 600th career win. He's the 43rd coach in uh, Division I NCAA basketball to accomplish that. Uh, was at Penn for a long time, was at Temple from 2006 to 2019. He came out of retirement last season. He was an outstanding player at LaSalle back in the 1960s, so he came out of retirement to uh, coach his alma mater. And I, I was thinking about that. I saw his last game at Temple when uh, Belmont played Temple in the first four back in 2019, and it was basically a retirement match. You know, they had those in wrestling, though, those, you know, loser leaves town yeah. retirement match type things because uh, Coach Bird retired after that season as well, and Fran Dunphy uh, retired after that game uh, in Dayton that night. But uh, he's back and uh, still doing a good job and head coach at LaSalle and won his 600th game. Uh, congratulations to uh, Fran Dunphy on that accomplishment. All right, Chris, uh, we had Thanksgiving last week, and uh, my family and I actually had our Thanksgiving out in Las Vegas. We went out there with That's the Vanderbilt's cool. basketball team. We we had a traditional Thanksgiving dinner, though, before we left because I wanted to make sure of that. Thanksgiving might be my very favorite holiday because I love turkey and dressing and all that stuff, especially dressing. You said you had a house full of people, and uh, I was going to ask you what your favorite Thanksgiving dish is. I can't remember if we did this on our last podcast, but even if we did, it's worth doing again. I, I think we did, and, and uh, I said dressing at that time and, and followed closely 1B of by pumpkin pie uh but yeah we 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 had all the traditional fare and and a house full of folks and it's it's crazy it, it, it takes three three days or so into the preparation the way my wife does it <laughs> and after about 20 minutes the meal was consumed and right people were looking for places to go steal a nap <laughs> I saw some people in Las Vegas looking for places to go steal a nap. Uh, you, you get up in the morning to go get breakfast, and you see people down there that have probably either been there all night in the casino or you know whatever they got going on. It's an interesting place. I'll tell you one thing, cool thing that we did. Uh, we took a tour of the Hoover Dam. We went inside and like saw the you know turbine things where the, it generates power, and saw the history of how they built it. It's amazing to me. It's an amazing engineering feat, but it's really cool that they were able to do all that with the technology of the 1930s when they designed and yeah. built that dam. Uh, it's, it's a really, really neat place. I would highly suggest it if uh, people were out in the Las Vegas area looking for something to do. And it straddles Nevada and, and Arizona, and uh, you can kind of stand in both states and take photos and that sort of thing. But it, it was neat. I would wanted to see that. I'd seen it from an airplane before, but I'd never been out there, and that, that was cool to take a look at. That's one I've got to go see. We, you and I need to do a road trip. I don't know when or where, but we got to do a road trip. <laughs> we would be like maybe like Ozzy and Jack. You, know, you ever watch that where they, they go across America and go to different places, Ozzy Osbourne? <laughs> yeah, that'd be fun, man. We could pull that off. We'll plan that and, and try to get that done, and we'll take write the podcast on the road. Yeah, write, write a, for sure. You, you'd be the best one to write the book. I'll do the radio series. Chris, always great, man. We'll uh, catch up soon and uh, do a, another edition of Blue Ribbon Podcast. Thanks, buddy. Take care. He's Chris. I'm Kevin. We'll talk to you next time.